I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to Footy Prime the Podcast with Craig Forrest, James Sharman, and the mighty Danny Dicchio. Today we welcome Thomas Rongan. And Brendan Dunlop. For Dan Wonger and myself, Jeff Cole, let's have it. Hello, welcome to Footy Prime, and to hell with those those names you mentioned. More importantly, um, it, it's nice to get out. This is uh, our first live show on location for a while, live from Trinity Bellwoods Park. <laughs> it's quite the party out there today, let me tell you, and we're having a great time. We're oiled up. We are in the, uh, the micro-kinis, Danny especially, and we're enjoying the summer. Welcome, everyone. Deech, Craig, Wonger. We'll get to those other two names you mentioned uh, shortly, but what a weekend it's been so far. Football's back somewhat. The sun is out. Are you feeling positive once again, fellas? Feeling pretty good, for sure. It's, it makes a big difference. Um, the weather, but uh, the social distancing is getting a little relaxed around the Toronto area, that's for sure. Sadly. Beach, how many people right now are within two meters of you? Because I'm in my bedroom, which is the quietest place in the house, it's pretty good. But if I walk outside my door, there's at least 16 people within two meters of me. <laughs> it's like a, like a, a honeybee's nest in your place, right? You, yeah. you walk out and it's just being swarmed by thousands of people. By the way, um, Craig, are you growing a beard? Is this what I'm seeing here? Yeah. Well, looks like it. I don't really know what I'm doing, to be honest with you. Just this laziness, giving up? No, I'm not giving up. I'm just trying to find something I like, and I haven't found it yet. <laughs> are you talking about your beard and facial hair, or? <laughs> well, you know, all the above, brother. Isn't that an old Simple Mind song or a U2 song? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah, pretty much. Or I can't win for losing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's all right, Craig. You'll be okay. You know who's oh. winning right now? Who is winning is, is Alfonso Davies. Um, watching Germany I, once again this weekend. Um, and, and I got to go. Oh, there's Jeff, a bylaw, go. Oh, there's, there's a bylaw officer coming to give me a ticket in the park here. So I got to go. <laughs> yes, officer. I'll be right there. No, not the baton. <laughs> it's because of that that big blue dildo you talk into he, he's thinking that's uh that's uh, like a smurf or something beside you it's actually your microphone but good luck to you there pal um but yeah it's, it's winning right now it's funzy right so i uh, watching the game uh this weekend and we still still that goal that, that alfonso scores and, and twitter blows up but all right if ever there's a goal that looks like a training ground goal it's got to be that one right i mean give a guy credit 
Absolute credit. Well done, Fonzie. You scored a goal. But my God, I don't know what the defence was thinking. It wasn't a thing of beauty, was it? Well, the defender played a one them. What, what's that? <laughs> Thomas is redecorating his... I was going to say, what you heard there is, is, is Thomas Rungan. I don't know what he's doing right now, but he's making a hell of a lot of noise. <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing? You look like... You look like... I need a beer. <laughs> Crack a beer there, TR. Great. We'll get into you shortly. Look at it, and it has a, a an opener in it as well, a beer opener in the inside. All, All right, right. So, so TR has got a t-shirt with wow. a beer opener sewn into it. Wow, he had it on about thirty seconds ago. I don't know. Yeah, what's yeah changed. I went through the um, you know doing doing the same thing over and over again, which is the uh, definition of insanity. That's my boy <laughs> right here. <laughs> Albert Einstein. So listen, let's let's. I guess we've brought in Tr earlier than we thought. But as see, I, I've worked with Tr and so have you guys for you know a number of a number of years ago now already. But a lot and much like Brian Bard, you have a plan and it gets thrown out the window straight away. So welcome Tr. If you don't know who Tr is, I don't know where you've been. But Thomas Rungan of BN Sports, uh, CBS Sports, former MLS head coach, former MLS champion. Coach of the Year, the star of the brilliant documentary Next Goal Wins, soon to be, by the way, uh, an actual motion picture. We'll get to that shortly as well. He was the man that Johan Cruyff based his game around. That's the truth. We'll get to that. <laughs> and more importantly, as I mentioned, a former colleague of ours. TR, welcome to Footy Prime, mate. How you doing? I love it. Thank you. It's great to hear Canadian accents, uh, fake Canadian accents like Deitch. Uh, Dunlop does better Ukrainian Polish accents than he actually speaks English, so I'm 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 flattered. Thanks for being on, guys. Thomas, what, what accent is yours now? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know either. I just did an interview in Dutch, and the guy goes, "Are you fucking kidding me? You can't speak Dutch anymore." <laughs> so no, yeah, it's been interesting. <laughs> We're also welcoming, as you heard there, Brennan Dunlop back to the show. Hey, Dunlop, what's up, pal? What's up, boys? How are you? It's great to see you. And God, you Rungan, look I... like, sorry, mate. Sorry to interrupt you, but you know, on this beard theme, man, you are rocking okay. something pretty special right now. It's uh, it's pretty intense. Yeah, the, you know, for my whole life, I've had to explain that I'm half Portuguese, but I feel like now I don't have to anymore. People are like, oh yeah, I totally, I get it. Is it the left or the right half? Well, it's definitely it's definitely the lower half of the face right now. It's just like I I, I shaved on Thursday, guys. This is this has not been a whole quarantine thing. It's not quite as groomed as as Danny's beard, but uh, it's pretty damn good, man. I'm impressed. You, you grow a, a fine beard. All right, so yeah, back to you, mate. Listen, um, let's get the COVID question out of the way. We have to address it at some point, like with every every uh, guest we have here. It's kind of getting a bit boring. But how are you enjoying COVID nineteen? Uh, this sounds crazy. Maybe that's why I'm wearing this T-shirt. I'm actually. Uh... I'm actually doing well. I got divorced again, so that, that I'm, I don't have to worry about uh, spousal abuse. I'm okay. Congratulations. I'm, I'm good, thank you. Appreciate that. I'm a single man at 63, dating uh, yoga instructors. Uh, so, you know, life, life is good. I know that Deech is really jealous of me right now. <laughs> He's got 12 people in the next room. I got nobody around me. <laughs> I break. I must say, I break the uh, beach policy at seven o'clock at night. Last week, I figured out that the uh, the guards leave and the police leave. So I walk on the beach every night for about an hour. Um, I'm eating better. 
yes, we're doing a lot of shows from home like we do here with BN and, and, and CBS. Uh, we're in a sad, I mean, let's face it, guys, all of us, our generation, and I'm probably the oldest of all of you, we've never been in this situation. It's, it's you know, as some people said, it's worse than the Second World War. I remember stories of my parents and my grandparents talking about uh, that devastation. Uh, this is a new norm for us, all of us, and it's sad. We're looking at almost 100,000 in, in the U.S., uh, deaths, uh, Memorial Day weekend, which is also weird if you really think about it. But on the other hand, I'm grateful I'm able to see some old friends right now and, and talk still about the game that we love. And, and that's, I think, the most important thing. Hey, Thomas, when you went to uh, the United States, North American Soccer League, you played in there. We go back a long way with the national team. Was that your connection with Bob Leonard Doozy? Because when we were in 90, you would take us around. You took us to a Dolphin game. You always looked after us, and that was when in the early 90s, I want to say? Correct. Actually, uh, I played against Bob many times, but my, my, my better friends were actually Carmen Marcantonio, and uh, uh, God, he's in the wine business in Toronto, um, uh, Bobby Iarushi. Yeah, Bobby Iarushi. Uh, yeah. And those were teammates of mine in 1980 when I played with Cruyff, again, the second year in the, in the NESL for the Washington Diplomats. And I've always, when I worked uh, with Danny at, at the academy uh, for two years, you know, I, I, I met uh, Carmen and, 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 and Bob uh, on several occasions. And yes, I was always very uh, happy to see Canadian faces because they happen to be some of my better teammates and also some great players and assistant coaches like Frank Yallop uh, in MLS with DC United, who went on, obviously, to, to, to work with the Canadian national team and People like you, Greg, I, I did follow, you know, the Canadian national team going back to Mexico uh, because of my teammate Bronco Segoda at 19 years old, made that roster. So I've always followed the North American uh, football scene quite closely. And I've got some very good friends, including you, you know, that are Canadians. And I love Toronto. And you brought uh, Frankie Yallop over to Major League Soccer with the mutiny. Our good buddy. I mean, he's one of my best friends. He's a fantastic individual. And then you then you gave him his opportunity in coaching, which he took and ran with it, didn't he? You took it. Was he at Washington with you? And then Frank got his own job. And yeah. he first year in 1996. In the second year, I brought him in as my assistant coach. In uh, uh, let me see here, that wasn't the champ. I won the title in in '99 uh, with DC United. I brought brought Frank on on that year thereafter, stayed with me for two years, and then won, what, four titles with San Jose and Lennon Donovan. So, yeah, Frank Yellow, and still in the game, now as a technical director, obviously, in Fresno. Uh, yeah, some of my best friends and, and, and people within the soccer industry are, are happen to be Canadian. Because you guys are close to how I grew up in the Netherlands. You know, we got the similar kind of thinking and, and the same kind of, liberal and, and, and freedom and, and expressing ourselves. And, and you guys are big advocates of playing attacking football. Danny was the first one. You know, we talked about playing out of a 4-3-3, you know, identifying players, uh, identifying Danny found, uh, uh, what's the kid that's now a big, uh, big-time player for FC's first team, Danny? Rosario. Um, yeah, Rosario, that we played against when we had our academy team playing in a semi-pro league. Um, 
and we always looked at players that were proactive and or technically sound. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to say that we, uh, we have similar philosophies in terms of our upbringing and the way we think about the world and also the way we, we want to play the game of football. Hey, T.R., I think what most impressed me or what, what baffles me more is that you still call Craig Greg. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or that you remembered, you remembered the year which you bought Frank Yallop in, in, in uh, at Washington. I mean, that's amazing to me. But like, yeah. I think what I'm starting to realize now, and it's, it's tough as you, become, as you become a coach or a person that's been involved in football in North America for like, I've been involved in it for 13 years now. You've been involved in it plenty more years than me. Craig played in England, but he's been involved in it for a long time. Is that how quickly the, the, the changes of people recognizing you from media or recognizing you from actually being in the game? And you must have been through a big transition in that. I mean, me and Craig get asked now more about, Hey, you guys are the guys off of TV. I'm like, no, we fucking used to play football as well. And they're like, <laughs> really? Like, yeah, yeah, we used to play football, but you must have been through that transition aspect, Thomas. And, and now just looking at it and seeing where the MLS is now compared to when it first started, it must give you like a real good feeling and, and, and seeing how the, the, the league has blossomed and turned into this juggernaut now, which hopefully will push on. We're going for a little bit of a diverse reaction now and possibly going down to Disney to, to play a, a mini tournament. But what, what's your feelings on everything with the MLS at the moment? Well, first and foremost, you're, you're absolutely right. Trying, trying to reinvent yourself, which we all have done, you know, going from playing on a very high level that you guys did. I played on a decent level, but not as, 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 as Craig and, and you, uh, uh, Danny, uh, and then trying to, you're still involved in the game, obviously with Toronto, but but most of the other guys uh, reinvented themselves in order to get into uh, the business we're in right now, being analysts, being a pundit, being a talking head, whatever you want to, whatever you want to uh, do. And, and I worked hard at my craft, as I did as a coach, as I did as a player. And you're right, I, I get recognized now. <laughs> Nobody, nobody knew I ever played anyway, but I get recognized. Hey, you're the bow tie guy. You know, oh, fuck. yeah, that's me. Um, and, and you're right. It, it's been very interesting to see my transformation and also of MLS. Yeah. I was there in the first year then, in 1996. I remember uh, January, a whole month, we looked at a thousand players in a combine in Los Angeles. All of our heads were spinning because nobody had a player on their team. We picked 20 players in the draft. I threw a fucking dart at number 20 because I didn't know who it was. And it ended up being Greg Lalas. I picked Greg Lalas <laughs> as number 20 by just throwing a dart at the board and going, whoever you know, falls there, that's fine. I also remember Frank Stapleton after two hours saying, what the hell? And the guys that were in the U.S. and the guys like myself and Ziggy Schmidt and Bruce Arena that knew American soccer well, that had followed the college game, some of the professional, semi-professional indoor and outdoor games, were the teams that were able to build uh, a better base. And if you look at the foreign coaches in the first year, including Stapleton, they were gone uh, yeah. out in, in, in Colorado because they just, just did not understand how to build a team from scratch, not knowing the talent base and making decisions on just a week, literally looking at a thousand players. Rinas Migos ran that whole 
thing with Sunil Gulati. And it literally were eight games a day. And they just kept churning out players, players, and players. And then we had to, to pick those. And fast forward to where we are now. You know, the academy, for instance, in Toronto. You know, uh, the, the, the facilities are being built. Uh, more and more money is spent now. Uh, MLS, obviously, um, now should be... Uh, the number one, like in the rest of the world, you know, federations, they administer. The U.S. Federation was very much involved in player development and the professional teams finally, and MLS, USL, um, are taking now that beacon of, of youth development the way it is in the rest of, uh, in the, rest of the world. So we've, we've come a long, uh, a long way with, without a doubt. I remember in 90... Eight, I was the head coach. Now we're talking about three years into the league. I phoned Sunil Galati and I said, Sunil, I want to make a trade. And he said to me, Thomas, within a week, the league will fold. There's uh, 12 teams at that time. Um, four owners didn't ante up. They had to pay quarterly because it was a losing venture initially. And so many owners did not. So it was that close to folding. We all know the story of Anschutz owning six teams out of 12. They retracted to 10. And look at this now. We're almost at 30 teams, healthy. And it's a billionaire's club with cross um, sports involvement. A lot of NFL owners, some NBA owners, Stan Kroenke that owns Arsenal and owns the Colorado uh, uh, Rapids and also the LA Rams. It's very interesting to see. You look locally here now with Inter Miami, David Beckham and uh, great investments of Two billionaire brothers, uh, the Chloré, uh, uh, no, sorry, the, the, the Mask brothers. Uh, I'm very bullish on this league, uh, and I think that, that youth development has shown uh, to be on the right track, be it with you, Danny, at Toronto FC, be it uh, Dallas, that was one of the first ones that gave young players a chance. It is a league now, a, a league where you can jump to Europe. As an American player, a Canadian player, look at Alfonso Davies. I think Alfonso Davies, Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna, um, the guys we've seen in the, in, in the Bundesliga this weekend, Josh Sargent starting at 19 for Werder Bremen. Uh, MLS is just a great springboard for U.S. and Canadian talent, but also 25-year-old Central and South American players that have used now, Alti Moron being a great example, as a springboard to go from MLS to um, to the rest of the world. So from a buying league, we've become a buying and somewhat of a selling league as well, which is healthy and important for the owners. Now, how about the quality of the game over the last, you know, 20, almost 30 years now, T.I.? You know, you were there day one in MLS in 96. Um, when you compare what you saw on the training field then to what you see here in 2020, how, how far has the game progressed from a footballing standpoint? It has progressed from in a lot of aspects. The infrastructure is better. As I said again, the stadiums are better. Practice facilities, God, I just, not just, I was in Boston where they were building a new practice facility. In, in 1996 in Tampa, I had Carlos Valderrama getting taped in the back of a Jeep. And we had to go to the University of Tampa to train. We didn't have a training facility. In Boston, I had to train at Babson College. And we didn't have a designated locker room because the lacrosse team was still more important than, than the pro team. Fast forward to where we are right now. You look at, again, the facility, obviously, that Toronto has. Uh, Bruce Arena forcing the crafts to upgrade as well in those, those areas. 
uh, they're spending money in the right way. Now, on the field, I think that the product has been diluted. Are there competitive games? Without a doubt. Are there good footballing teams? Without a doubt. But let me give you my starting 11 in 1999. Starting left fullback for the U.S. national team, Jeff Agus. Starting full, the center back for the U.S. national team, Carlos Germosa. Starting uh, center back of the U.S. national team, Eddie Pope. Uh, Marco Echeverry, Jaime Moreno, Roy Lasseter, John Harks, Diego Sonora, who played for Boker, Boker Juniors, played right back uh, uh, for me. Uh, Jeff Onger and, and Richie Williams, you know, not the greatest names, but great. Ben Olsen as a rookie. Uh, <laughs> that was one hell of a team, by the way. Um, and similar to 96, I, I put that, 90, that, that 96 team and... and uh, expansion in particular, the Canadian and, and American talent has been stretched, and you still have to use four, five, six Americans or Canadians to make up a team uh, of a starting 11. So uh, the games have become more competitive. I don't know if the games right now are, are as good as they were maybe in the first few years um, where we only had 12 teams. Tio, let's, let's rewind the clock here back to your NESL days, right? You're, you're a kid... Dutch kid, and you're looking up and you're seeing Johan Cruyff as a teammate. I mean, just talk about what that meant to you as a footballer. I mean, you must have been starstruck at some point, I imagine. Not at some point, all the time. <laughs> um, God, I remember vividly having a pregame meal against Rochester in the Rose Bowl. We played our home games at the Rose Bowl. Cruyff arrived the day of the game, joined us late at the pregame meal after traveling. He looked fucked, introduced himself quickly. Um, before the game, he comes up to me and goes, I need a smoke, let's go. So I, I didn't even tell him I smoked. Uh, and he looked at me again, uh, are you a smoker? I go, yeah. He goes, okay, you do the following. And as soon as halftime comes, you take one of my cigarettes and a lighter. You go in the bathroom while Renus Miggles, by the way, maybe the best coach in the last century, does his halftime speech. <laughs> Leave it there. Go out and I go back in. Well, Sharms, I'm, I'm shitting myself. You know, I'm going, what, what's going on? And um, he, goes, he comes on, plays 60 minutes, scores two unbelievable goals and waves at the 40,000 crowd in, in, in the Rose Bowl. The next day, we had practice, actually. Regen, he comes up to me, he goes, you know what? You're not that good of a player, but we can use you. Fucking win the ball, play it to me, that's what he told me, and stand still. I said, okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what I did, and I love doing it each and every day, man, to sacrifice for my hero. Uh, you're right. I could pinch myself uh, several times. I, I lived with the family in, in D.C. for about six months. Um, ate breakfast at the Kennedys who lived next door. Tell the story there. Yeah, tell the story there, TR. That's a classic story with Ted Kennedy. Yeah, I, 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 this is also 
the Cruyffs. I mean, I <laughs> arrived after I got traded. This is also interesting. My parents are on the way to L.A. Renus Migos brings me in, sits me down, and says the following. Thomas, you are not a good pro. I'm going to trade you to, and it happened to be the Washington Diplomats. I'm on a plane three hours later. My parents are going to L.A. trying to meet me for the first time, their 21-year-old son. I get picked up by the Croy family at the, at the airport. Uh, Jordy Croy was like five years old. They said, stay with us for a few days and find an apartment. Six months later, I'm still with them. After three home games, because I always went home with the other one, I didn't have a car. I made charms. I made $24,000. Um, so his wife, typical Amsterdam, she goes, are you fucking gay? I go, no. no. She goes, well, you never go out. I go, well, if Johan says go home, I go home. He's my, you know, she goes, Johan, didn't you win a car last year? Or scored the goal of the year. And he went, yeah. She goes, where is it? I don't know. So we find the car, a new car, and they give it, they give it to me. So the next game, I'm going out. I'm hammered. It's 4 a.m. But they had two Doberman pinchers. Killer dogs, because one of the reasons they left Spain, which not too many people knew, financially he was struggling, but more so uh, his uh, wife and the children got taken hostage in their own home while he was on a road trip. And they bought these mm-hmm. Doberman pinchers and, and went to the United States. So I'm looking at the Doberman pinchers with the key in my hand. I'm going, fuck. Either they're going to bark and wake them up or they're going to eat me alive. Although I knew him quite well. So I fall asleep and I get woken up the next day around, I don't know, seven or eight by a guy. He goes, are you staying with the Croix? I've seen you. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, come at breakfast. So I'm going into this huge house, eat breakfast. Joan comes in and goes, come on, we've got to go to breakfast. He goes, you know who you just had breakfast with? I said, no. He said, with uh, Ted Kennedy and his family. <laughs> <laughs> Ted, Ted, Ted Kennedy subsequently, a few days later, knocks on the door and goes, I know you're a lot younger but you can come out with me every Thursday night. So Black Limo would come up on the driveway, pick me up. We would knock on little doors, you know, like you see in movies, open them. Oh, Ted Kennedy. And I'm right behind Ted Kennedy, going into a, a life I've never seen before, by the way. And that, that went on for about 12 or 14 weeks, which is pretty crazy. Might have been around the same time as the secretary got killed, you know, with a car driving off uh, whatever. Right. And then wow. I swear. I, she, I, I swim in the Rockefeller's pool. The Rockefeller's were next door as well. And I got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those NESL days, I mean, Thomas, I mean, for all the, obviously, in the end, it didn't work out from a footballing standpoint, you know, for various reasons. But from, from a young guy growing up, I mean, my God, what an experience that must have been. I mean, I'm, I'm quite jealous. Oh, I, I, well, you should be. You're right. <laughs> um, you know, it, 1978, the Dutch, it was called the amateur team. Uh, we played the United States. We played the same team in San Diego, San Francisco, St. Louis, Miami, and New York. And on the way back from uh, San Fran, going to New York, I end up sitting next to Renus Migos. And I'm, I'm in the middle seat. He's at the window. And I peer. We don't talk because he doesn't talk. He just looks at you and you go, oh, fuck, he, he, he doesn't like me or he's going to kick my ass or whatever. So I look over and I go, wow, that's beautiful. And he looks at me and goes, that's the Rocky Mountains. You like it? I go, absolutely. Fast forward four months later, I get a call from Renus Meagles. Just when I finish my, my studies, I've got a master's in physical education. And, and I said to my parents when I came back, 
I want to travel to the United States. So I get a call from the general. He goes, Thomas, you remember? We fly over the Rocky Mountains and you like it? I just became the coach of the LA Aztecs. I need one cheap Dutch player and I would like to bring you in for $1,000 a month. You share a car with uh, a player and an apartment. That's all she wrote. 40 plus years later, I never, I never returned, which is <laughs> Renus Meagles and then Johan Cruyff becomes my roommate, Wim Surbeer, who played in two World Cup finals, 74, 78, four European championships, was my roommate uh, in, in the Aztecs. We used to go every night to Besties. George Best owned a bar in, in Redondo Beach. Got fucking hammered like five out of seven days. <laughs> and, but that was the mentality of those guys. You know that, Deitch. And, 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 and Craig knows that as well. You, you play hard, you party hard, you know? And, 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 and hey, that was, I guess, the secret to success. It's, it's kind of funny how, like, the, the, the English mentality transitioned over to North America in those days as well. Because in the 80s, and Craig will allude to this as well, and 90s, and even the 70s as well. The thing was, people used to train, and these footballers were, were seen as rock stars as well, back in the late 70s, early 80s, 80s, 90s. But the amount of drinking and alcohol consumed in those playing days by these players, I have no idea how they turn up every day or the next day to train, but then to play in a state which they were so unbelievably talented, but played with flair, like you talk about George Best, uh, Stanley Bowles, Rodney Marsh, uh, guys that were like big party animals but could go out and perform at the weekend. And it's funny hearing stories from TR how it wasn't just the English guys that were like that when they transitioned to, to North America. It was the majority of Europeans, but South Americans and even the Americans got involved as well. I'm sure they were all involved as well too. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, and interesting, you know, what was it? Arsene Wenger a few days ago, uh, obviously turned whatever age. Uh, he was the one that, that changed that culture, Danny, right? Uh, yeah. I was a young, naive player, basically, when I came over 21. But we had, we were forced to go to our, they had, they had obviously a tailgating. Tailgating was huge in the U.S. You would drive up to the stadium with thousands of people barbecuing, getting hammered before the game. The game itself in the stands was a party atmosphere. You would take your date to a soccer game, and then you would go out afterwards. And, and you had players in the field in, in shorts, uh, predominantly, not predominantly, but 50% was female audience. Dude, I got late. Like, I mean, like, uh, unbelievable. It was great. <laughs> but to make a long story short, you had to go to after the game parties, both at home and on the road, to interact with the fans. And you would literally walk out of the locker room, and the assistant coach would give you 10 drink tickets. I go, fuck, this is great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember. Seattle, we used to go to Seattle. Seattle had the best after-game parties because Seattle was a predominantly English team. I mean, hey, Alan Hudson, by the way, but not many people talk about. What a player, Deitch, and, 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 and Craig, you know that as well. Uh, technically sound. He had former national team players. Gordon Banks was here. Trevor Francis in his heyday was here. Um, Vancouver, predominantly English as well. Great city to go out as well. And, and some of the big stars now and then loved playing in North America. 
that nobody really, nobody, but a lot of people didn't recognize them. They love to travel. They love this enormous North America. And, and, and Greg and Danny, you know, you both have played here and, and, and abroad. Uh, the appeal for some of the big-time players then and now was still socially, family-wise, and, and a league that's, that's getting better, no doubt. I remember back in the North American Soccer League days, you know, the Whitecaps and how strong that Vancouver team was. You know, you think Peter Beardsley was there, Groblar was there, Trevor Weimark was there. And I remember actually Trevor Weimark was at Ipswich, and he told me this story that he had no intention of going to Vancouver. But he met at the Heathrow Airport, had a meeting with the Whitecaps, and uh, they offered him twice what he was making at Ipswich. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll be on the plane. They said the next half of this check is going to be uh, when you arrive in Vancouver. So the money was pretty good. You know, David Harvey, you know, all these great guys. Lorimer was there, Hector. You know, just an amazing group of players, and they just loved the North American Soccer League. It was just too bad that it was so mismanaged at that time. Yeah. But it's interesting. You, you say that, Jay, this is a great point, too, is that, that now the fans are driving the names of clubs as well. I think early on, MLS really tried to stay away from the NESL <coughs> as a failure. Don't mention it too much. Till I think, Portland or, or Seattle said, you know what? The fans want the Sounders. The Timbers. And all of a sudden, you see these cities that used to have... I mean, you're right. Vancouver used to draw as many or more people, guys, in the NESL. Seattle has packed forty or 50,000 people. People are going, oh, my God, look at Seattle. That happened in the late 70s, early 80s as well. So the NESL, in some ways, uh, laid a foundation. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think the MLS has managed it very well, looked at... They didn't have a long-term philosophy, but also it was a little bit of a fad back then. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see that, that, that some of these cities still have embraced their past and continue to do that, where I didn't see that earlier, uh, you know, with the names that were given to teams like the Tampa Bay Mutiny, which I thought was maybe a, a, war, a Viking ship or whatever, <laughs> and ended up being a mutant bet. You know, I'm going, mutant bet? What are these guys at Nike smoking, dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Terrible names back then, weren't there? So, Tr, tell me then. So, this this Dutch kid who's partying every Thursday with Ted Kennedy finds himself in America, Samoa, coaching the worst football team in the world. At what point did you realize what the hell have I done here? I, I never, I never went to, in that sphere. I, I went. It was. It was life-changing for me, both on and off the field. You know, it was great, obviously, a unique opportunity and a challenge. Not too many people can say they, they were head coach of a team that was in a qualifying process for the World Cup. You know, I'd never done that. I'd been an assistant coach to Steve Sampson in 98. I coached four under-20 World Cup teams, uh, the better one in 207 with uh, Josie Altidore, Freddie Adu, and Michael Bradley. Um, uh, two guys, obviously, that you guys are very familiar with. Uh, but that was, to me, just such a unique uh, challenge. Yeah, did I know much about American Samoa? No. Did I look at a map while Sunil is talking to me? Sunil goes, Thomas, you want to do me a favor? Can you maybe help them out? I'm looking at a map and going, fuck, Polynesia. I've never been there. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> and then I read that the worst team in the world, ranked last in FIBA. I haven't won in two decades. Lost 31 to nothing uh, to Australia. 
but I went there with a real open mind. And, and, and what's the difference was I, I embraced three things. Their religion, which wasn't easy for me because I was raised an atheist. I'm not an atheist, but I was raised an atheist. I, I embraced their third gender culture. They call that Fafa Fine, uh, which is their accepted. And that means, um, as I said again, third gender. I had somebody, the first female, to play in a World Cup qualifying uh, game uh, against Tongo, um, which, was, which was world news. And I kept an open mind because I knew the Palangi, they called it, the white men uh, that were there before me, that two New Zealand coaches, an Australian coach and a German coach, did not embrace that uh, at all. And I, I remember my first day there, and all the players could walk in, and I got two sheets up there. One is in a, in a, a four, uh, two, one, three, or whatever you want to call it, and the other one was out of straight four, four, two. And I asked the players to come up and fill in their best positions within those two systems. So all of a sudden, out of the back comes this hot-looking chick, and she's putting center back down. So I go to my wife, or my ex-wife, I go, she must be the massage therapist, you know? I mean, just kidding a little bit. <laughs> so I get all the passports right thereafter before we train, and her name is Johnny Salua. And everybody calls her Jaya. I understand also now that she's a player. So I go up to her in front of the group, and I ask her, I said, I see a passport, it's Johnny. And everybody calls you Jaya. You want me to call you Jaya? She said, Coach, you're the first Falangi, so the first white man that was willing to call me that. So I accepted her, which meant the whole group accepted me. And then it became a lot easier for me to, to, to be there in, in a paradise setting. Um, and yeah, that's all she, all she wrote. But for me personally, also, it was very, uh, a very spiritual experience. First time in a church, first time that I sang. First time I cried about uh, the loss of my daughter. Um, so for me, it was was a, a, a personal ride that uh, uh, was special as well outside of the athletic part, um, which was probably my most satisfying one, uh, even more so than winning the MLS Cup of DC United. You had to go through quite a bit, Thomas, to get some of the players even to train, didn't you, from uh, their, their leaders of their communities and things? Interesting you say that. Um, there's 22 tribes on that island, and the island isn't, isn't very big, and every tribe has its own rituals. I went to, very early on, I went to an American high school football game. Rugby and football is still bigger on the island. Actually, American Samoa gets more players per capita into the NFL than any other player. I see this running back, this 17-year-old running back, which is unbelievable. So I go to the president and go, I want this guy on my team. He goes, he's never played soccer. I said, I don't care. I want him on my team. He said, well, you got to talk to the tribe leaders because he's not 21. So I'm going down, you know, literally down these, these roads. There, I, I got a car from the, um, um, from the Federation, and there was only 12 cars on the island uh, with a big flatbed, which I would take players to the tuna boats at 6 a.m. in the morning so they could work. Then they would come back, I would kick their ass, and then we'd go back on a tuna boat again and kick their ass again. And just like you, they would smile. So I'm going down to ask these leaders. I get in this, this hut with four adults dressed in their, in their normal uh, you know, tribal outfits. 
and I have to drink this concoction and going, well, if I, you know, if I survive this, it will be fine. And I had to ask them if I could get this kid. Now, this kid ends up scoring the winning goal against Tonga, never played soccer before, ends up going to the United States to a two-year school, then a four-year school, and is now uh, just got traded from the Raiders uh, to the San Francisco 49ers. What a story. Here's a kid, never played soccer, scored a winning goal against Tonga <laughs> the first time in two decades, and now he's playing in the NFL. It's pretty cool. Fantastic. They should make a movie about this, T.R. <laughs> they, they should. You're right. Documentary Next Goal Wins, honestly. I'd, obviously, we're biased because we worked with Thomas and, and we, know, we know him and we've heard a lot of these stories, but it is, it is such a, a great film that really uh it totally transcends football so it's one of those one of those movies that if you're big into soccer and you've got some friends who who aren't really into it or you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend who doesn't uh doesn't care for the game very much sit down and watch this movie with them and you'll you'll pull them in because it's it's, uh, it's beyond it's, football right it, it goes beyond football like you said there being i mean i think it's on amazon right now actually as well um but beyond the documentary there is a motion picture coming out as well and someone <laughs> handsome man being cast I think perfectly just perfectly Michael Fassbender is playing Thomas Rungan it's a natural fit isn't it TR really uh, listen the guys not incognito what is it again X-Men <laughs> any, any, anybody that plays in Inglorious Bastards can yeah. play me dude yeah no kidding <laughs> except Brad Pitt Brad Pitt will not in, play you he was in 300 as well so you got Inglorious Bastards 300 and incognito for X-Men. That's me. So he had to really hit the gym to, to play you, I guess, right? You know, get, get a trainer and put on a few pounds of muscle to really... Uh... <laughs> and get used to smoking a pack a day. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. how crazy, T.R., is that? I mean, your, your life, I mean, like we said before, I mean, my God, the stories are, are legendary. Um, but I mean, tell a movie with, with you as the, the central figure with, with a, you know, a Hollywood... A list of playing you. Can you put that into terms? I mean, as far as you know, no, how I, your life's evolved. Uh, no, I, I, I can't. I really can't. I, I do more interviews right now, which, by the way, I'm told I can do um, because of something I signed, unfortunately. Uh, but, 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 yeah. But Taike Watiti just won a, a Emmy. He's the producer. This guy, Oscar, <laughs> just came up an Oscar. Sorry. Uh, and his next movie is a soccer movie. Are you? I mean, are you kidding me? Just did, <laughs> he just he, he told Disney. He said, "I just did Thor, uh, grossed almost a billion dollars." By the way, I want to do this soccer movie, which he wanted to do for the longest time because he was at the Tribeca Film Festival and he saw that movie. They invited uh, him because he's from New Zealand. He's indigenous. He knows the Polynesian culture very well. We had the rock there. And we had uh, uh, Tim Cahill at, at the opening in New York. And I remember this guy walking up to me saying, I want to make a movie out of this. I, I really fast forward many years later when he calls me and, and tells me, in fact, he wants to make a movie. Fast forward again. And, and he plays Hitler in, in Jojo Rabbit. And this is the guy that is producing this, this, this movie, this brilliant mind that understands the Polynesian culture. And is, it will be very interesting to see how he is going to manipulate this movie because he's got some dark humor in most of his movies. He's got, you know, and he, he calls it now a, a, 
comedy drama or, or, or there's a word for that. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't wait. I'm excited. Uh, Elizabeth Moss is, is playing a role as well. She won a few Emmys. Uh, they got a uh, Fafa Fina, one of the biggest Fafa Fina actresses, to play uh, Jaya, for instance. Um, and they got you know, some guys out of that region that are very popular. So I, I think this movie actually will not only transcend in the real soccer world, will do well in Asia, in, 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 in Polynesia, where, where they can relate to this movie, uh, probably. And, and, and first, having been there firsthand, it's, it was just joyous. It was life-affirming. Uh, it, it, it's funny, actually. Uh, it's heroic. Uh, and I hope that, that all these things will come back and be played by brilliant actors and actresses and, and, and produced by a guy that you can't find a, a hotter uh, guy right now that's making movies. I think he's, not, he's doing the next, what, Batman or the next uh, wow. whatever. Tia, right. more importantly, Tia, we could possibly see you on the Emmys stage or the Oscars stage doing a slide tackle impression. <laughs> that's what would that be? That would be great. That would be hey, man. When we this film wholly worthwhile. When we see Michael Fassbender accepting the Oscar, you know, thanking God and his family and uh, Thomas Rongan, that'll kind of make, make my, my life, my career as well. That'd be something pretty special. Panning <laughs> to you in the audience, hammered. <laughs> Sitting beside... I know some A-list actress, stroke yoga instructor. It's going to be brilliant. <laughs> That's what I'm curious to see. Is like at that level, Tr, which you know, which yoga instructor you get to bring? Is it like the most famous one with two million followers on Instagram? Is that going to be the, the no, side? I've learned my lesson after two times. <laughs> Believe me, they're not staying. They're not staying overnight. There's no waking up with anybody in the morning. <laughs> hey TR, listen to me. Uh, we're out of time thank you so much for this this has been so much fun you are definitely welcome back anytime we could do a, just an entire show just in your NESL stories um, but yeah this has been great so great to see you again mate and one final question for you if you had the choice to share a, a TV studio with Brendan Dunlop James Sharman Danny Dicchio <laughs> Craig Forrest or Kaylin Kyle who would it be? It would be Kale and Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. She's actually she's 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 funny. She's good. Yeah, she's great. I, 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 I kind of like it. Really is. She 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 yeah yeah. No, she's so, brilliant. Thanks, mate. Take care. Thanks for having me on, guys. Great to reconnect again. Let's do this again. Absolutely yeah. for sure. Great seeing you, Tia. Cheers, buddy. Uh, listen, boys. Let's uh, let's uh, Tia can stick around if you want, so he can go. It's up to him. But. Uh, I'm running out of battery space here, um, not to mention time. But listen, we mentioned how, how Michael Fassbender is playing TR in the movies, right? So I thought it might be fun to kind of cast actors to play ourselves in, in any future movie. Now, I did ask Danny and Craig this this morning. I doubt they've done any research, any homework at all. Um, I think Wonder probably has. Jeff had, but Jeff's left us. So, okay, let's, let's go through the roundtable. Okay, Dickio, who's playing Danny Dickio in the, uh, I don't know, the Preston North End story? Very easy. Danny DeVito. <laughs> it's a natural. It's a natural, right? Really? Natural. Poor Danny DeVito. Wins. <laughs> Anyone else disagree with that? Or are we agreeing? Anyone else you want to throw out there? I'll see I think you're Brenner. You're going Jason Statham for sure. Your Brenner or Bruce Willis would work pretty well. Your <laughs> Brenner. Yeah. I think he's dead now, but had he been alive, right? I just think they're bald actors, right? They aren't. But Bruce Willis was playing pretty well. 
Yeah. All right. What about um, Craig? Who is playing you, Craig? I don't know. Who's See again. Thank you for doing the homework. Fassbender, uh, uh, <clears throat> I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been Michael Fassbender. That would have been my guess. What I got Charles Dance for uh, Craig. Charles Dance. Yeah. Charles Dance. Matthew McGrory, I, I found as well. Have you seen him? Do you know who that is? Google Matthew McGrory. I just Googled tall actors. How about... How he, about he, he's how hideous. Shams, how about John Cleese? John Cleese could be a good Craig. Yeah, you're right. Who is that yeah. guy? Who is that guy who's in FX? Remember? Oh, we lost Dan. Dan's gone. Gone. Don't know, Dan. <laughs> Don't know. All right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was thinking Dolph Lundgren or, or Matthew McGrory. Dunlop is funny, Deech, because I actually had DeVito for Dunlop. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone think who could play Dunlop in the movie? I'm trying to think for Dunlop. Matthew McConaughey. Maybe. <laughs> you grow a thick beard as well? Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know too many like A-list Portuguese actors that you could no, get. Half British, half Portuguese. Yeah, I would definitely I, want want an actor that you know embodies the way I think of myself, which would be completely the opposite. So, someone like Antonio Banderas, that would be who I would picture. Yeah, you know? I can see that. I can see that. For one guy, I had Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, not bad. Not bad. That is not bad. Or that guy from The Hangover, one or two. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see. Wong played as more more of the guy who played. I see Wong played like that. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, I had Kiefer Sutherland because we've got the great pipes. Yeah, good one. And then for me, I had. um, It's kind of obvious, but Denzel. Denzel. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's actually pretty close for you. It's not bad, right? Yeah, Yeah. it works. Deech, do you know another Denzel? Usually when someone says that, it's just a one name, you get it, that you don't have to explain it's Denzel Washington. Do you know others? Oh, yeah, there's a couple of Denzels I know. There's a good boxer in England, Denzel, as well. There you he's, go. He's known as Denzel as well. <laughs> no one is as Denzel Washington, so I get that. Yeah. Well, this was going to be a lot funnier when I wrote it down originally. It didn't turn out that great. Disgusting. <laughs> no imagination whatsoever. Hey, there's, there's Wonger. Hey, Wonger. Wong is, you know what's concerning? Wong is recording this. He's got the worst internet, internet connection out of all of us. It's a real problem. It must be that new Ignite. Yeah. <laughs> it must be that. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we leave, listen, guys. Uh, did you see, uh, same with German, German football, uh, the, the Mönchengladbach Leverkusen game had fake cutout fans. And for charity, for like about 30 bucks, you could get um, your own picture of your face on the cardboard cutout and stuck in the stands. And like 13,000 fans did this. What a great idea. Hmm. Well, they remember, remember the old hybrid, the uh, Deech, when uh, they were making the new stand behind and they put, it was a mural? Yeah, the clock end. The clock end. Was it the clock end? Or the other? Anyway, I remember playing in front of that and it was just a mural of faces on a big, huge wall. Yeah. Really? The hybrid, just terrible. Yeah, not quite as intimidating as the uh, the big yellow yeah. wall at Dortmund, for example. Well, it's still lost, though. I thought <laughs> it was pretty cool, though. I actually, I loved it. I, I liked seeing it yesterday. I liked the idea of it because fans could get to obviously update a profile picture or whatever it is that they would cut out and put in their place where they sit. But 
if you actually looked at the, the, the kind of viewing yesterday of the game when they were actually televising the game, but behind the goal or in certain sections, you could see that there was some people that had put their dad who used to be a fan or an ex-player that used to be like a legend at the club. And they put that profile picking in, in place instead because they didn't want to have their face on the screen. I thought it was a pretty cool concept and That's it at least made the, the stadium look a little bit more busy and a little bit more, it, you're never going to replicate the, the atmosphere that fans can bring to it. But I just like them forward thinking. I think in Denmark as well, there's a, uh, there's a new kind of policy that they've allowed where they're, they're putting iPads close to the actual field where you can, actually be close to the field and you're basically your screen is where your seat is going to be and they're going to introduce some sound and some fan noise as well which I thought was a pretty cool concept as well and and players when they score will go over to certain cameras to celebrate in front of the cameras for these fans so I thought that was pretty cool as well so yeah. at least forward thinking you're kind of weird though seeing all these Faces of dead people around here. Be kind of freaky, wouldn't it? You know, oh god, ghosts in the stadium or something. You see, uh, I think it wasn't in Germany. One of the broadcasters was giving you the option of feeding in artificial fan noise, and there'd be actually kind of a, an audio director deciding what fan noise should be at certain points of the game, which comes with a massive pressure, you think, right? But I don't know if I had the choice, I'd use that. You know, it is what it is. You know, it's not ideal. It hasn't got the atmosphere of a regular game, but to have like artificial noise, it's like canned laughter, right? In comedy shows, it doesn't work for me. I hate it. Well, I think they're giving it their, the, the, the audience an option, aren't they? If you want to listen to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's your option, yeah. So that's not a bad idea. I mean, if you want to listen to it with that, but you might as well have it as natural as you possibly can, I would say. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just Munch and Gladbach got it right. I agree with Danny that it adds it added a lot more. You're never going to fully replicate it, but it, it did visually look better than an empty Allianz Arena we, that we saw in the in the, in the uh, game so, later. I, mean, I, I like the concept. I like that it's a charity. It's a great way to, yeah. to raise money, right? It's brilliant. But as far as adding to the spectacle, I don't know if it does. I mean, I know well, they're not real people. In a, but in a different way, I think you know it means a lot to to those Munchen Gladbach fans, especially if they were able to you know have a a moment uh, and feel better because they put their their father's picture on there. You know, I think I think that that um, that brought a lot to it. It, it, it you know Munchen Gladbach the the whole German game is about the about the fan and, and the atmosphere uh, a little more so than in some other places. So I think that uh, you know you're never going to replicate it fully, but in order to give people joy for a second and, and get it right by doing it that way, as opposed to uh, the South Korean club, as you may have seen FC Seoul, who wanted to put mannequins in the stands instead yeah. of someone mass ordered sex doll. <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring that story up with TR because I wanted to hear his reaction to it. I didn't know where, where that would go with TR because he's probably got his own story. Yeah. Well, he would have told you that he should have been the purchaser because he would have got the right ones. Or I got tons at home. You could borrow one of mine. They all had shorts on. It wasn't like they were naked dolls. Oh, that makes it better. That makes it better, Craig. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's much better. <laughs> hey, does your sex doll have clothes on, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> but but hey, but going back to feeding kind of noise into the stadiums, and this this I think this would be hilarious in Portugal where they've had such troubles with VAR. If you're in charge of feeding certain noises or cheers or whatever it is into the stadium 
and now VAR has been called in and you're having to rewind that noise or you're having to go back. <laughs> I think it hilarious. So I think they should bring it in, especially... In- <laughs> you know, I, I saw, I forget who it was, was writing about this, but it's interesting. You know, you, know you, you guys have teammates in the past who are great on the training field, right? But can never really replicate that on the big game with the fans and the pressure for whatever reason. But you wonder, you know, with the no fans, are we going to see these players emerge with their brilliance who, who have come from nowhere because they are that, they're that training ground, Charlie? Uh, it's hard to say, you know, when it get, you get to the top end, they, that's not the case. I mean, they've already you know, experienced that and you can see whether they can handle it or not, James, really, I think. Right. It's not a case where, Somebody's going to come into the team, I wouldn't think, and shine. And then all of a sudden when the fans show up, he's going to I, – I don't think that that's – but it could happen, but just not at the top end, I don't think. Who, who was the guy that always impressed you the most at training, Craig? Like, one guy – and I think you mentioned before, Zola doing free kicks was great when you were at Chelsea. But uh, was he a guy or were the other guys, Pallad, Decanio, for example? Decanio and Zola, and those guys, amazing. Viali, amazing. Zola, I mean, that's what they, you know, when you think about set pieces, dead ball situations over top of the wall, and guys that do it in game situations, it's, it, that's amazing when you think, because when they're in training and Zola's got the ball, somebody's putting the ball down, and he's got an artificial wall in front, and he's got Frode Grotus, the Norwegian international in net, and he's saying that he's going to beat him four out of five times, and he'll bet him on it. <laughs> you know, like, I think I'll take Frodo on that four to five times, but he gets his puts that ball down. He takes that one step, and once he gets his eye in, he, he can put that thing anywhere. Now, in the game situation, you got a one off and different conditions and all that. But if they get used to the conditions, he was amazing, absolutely amazing. Some of those things, what they did, and Decanio right out of the gates. I mean, remember it was more clubs weren't touching him because of his attitude, right? You know, he was. Everybody loved the ability of Paolo Di Canio, but it was all the baggage he brought with it. But the mm-hmm. first day of training, Harry standing on one side of the field, Frank Lampard seniors on the other, and he does something like the goalie score for West Ham back in the day against Wimbledon. And Harry's like, Frank, we got ourselves a fucking bargain. It <laughs> <laughs> costs a million quid, right? I mean, I mean, <clears throat> obviously times are different, but. That was a snip at that time. It really was. This may surprise you guys, but in co-ed league, I actually have a 100% goal-scoring record in all consolation and exhibition games. <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me because I know when, when we used to work together um, and we'd do the occasional rehearsal, you'd, do, you'd just be a star man. you you just do these things with the mic that I had never seen done before. And then we went live, and it's like a gong show and terrible. But, I mean, I tell you, you're a great rehearsal host, that's for sure. But going back to that, Sham, so you, you spoke about players now coming alive in front of no fans. It's not so much just playing in front of fans. It's playing in front of TV cameras that a lot of players started to get a little bit nervous. It was, it was very strange to me because there was a lot of players, especially younger players. Um, and, and going back to when I was a younger player, you play without fear. You know, you... you when you're older, you're starting to build up a lot of other things that matter off of the field, whether it be family, whether it be a mortgage, whether it be a new contract. But when you're a younger player, you're just playing for the, the, the love of the game and the sake of just, I want to be in the team next week, so I'm going to do as much as I can and play with as much freedom and trying to impress to get back into the team next week. We'll get the minutes, we'll score goals, like it was. But 
as you start to get into that middle age bracket and even the older age guys, some of them just froze in front of big fans if they weren't experienced in playing in front of it. But more importantly, in live TV games, there was guys that just went missing that had so much ability and talent that used to baffle them. Yeah, I, I bet. I can totally believe that. I mean, it's uh, having watched myself on camera playing in an exhibition game before. <laughs> it's uh, a great equaliser, isn't it? <laughs> uh, did you guys see the the Raphael Honkstein article? He was speaking with a coach, and I, f- I forget if it was a Hoffenheim coach or who it was, but after that first week, he talked about the players all admitting that they were considerably exhausted, and not because they weren't fit, because mm-hmm. they, they were some of them were fitter than they had been, at least cardio-wise, but because there was less interruptions in the game, which would imply that the referee perhaps is responding to the fans and the fans have a bigger impact on that, but that all the players across the board and, and he, they'd asked around, it wasn't just that one club. They all felt the same and that, that the actual gameplay rate was considerably higher than it is in a normal scenario when you've got a full stadium. And I guess without being, you know, G'd on by the crowd too as well, right? I mean, even when you're knackered in the field, you've got 30,000 fans screaming at you. You're going to get moving as well, so I'm sure that's part of it. Even tired legs can feel less tired when you've got your whole fans behind you. It's really interesting. Well, the whole advantage in football is the, is the greatest uh, of any sport. I mean, you can talk about – I think uh, Sports Illustrated did an article years about that, even just the waving of uh, – Things and trying to distract somebody from taking a free throw in basketball, does that make a difference or not? No, it doesn't. It makes no difference. Uh, NFL, before they brought the replay in, fumbles went something like 55% to the home team. Ah. Fumble recoveries. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Even in the camera replay, it went to 50 50. So the influence of, you know, the, it does influence humans, and these referees are human. And in football, you imagine going in. Like for us in the national team going into Honduras and they're just pelting the referees left, right, and sideways, it that has to influence them. And that's interesting as well. What what TR said uh, just before we, we, we came on live about I think in Germany there's only been four home wins in the two weeks so far. Yeah, which, I, it's incredible to me. Look at the scores this, this weekend, the scores in Germany, right? Um, home team first, obviously, right? Yeah. This week's so the Herder. Beat uh, Union Berlin 4 0, Hoda at home. Uh, Mönchengladbach home, lost 3 1 to Leverkusen. Freiburg at home, lost 1 0 to Werder Bremen. 1 1 between Paderborn and Hoffenheim. Wolfsburg home, lost 2 0 to Dortmund. Bayern 1 5 2 against Eintracht Frankfurt, of course. Augsburg, Augsburg beat Schalke 3 0, Schalke at home. Mainz lost 5 0 to Rassen Wolfsburg, Leipzig 5 0, Mainz at home. And Kahn. At home, lost to Fortuna Düsseldorf. I love reading out scores again. Holy shit! <laughs> Vinnie Printer Sharman over oh. here. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. You know, it, it just shows you that uh, it, it plays a massive influence. Because when you think about it, why should it really make a difference whether you're home or away? You, the, the fans are not coming on the field. They're not influencing the game physically. It should be an equal. It should be the same. It should but, be. But the players are human as well as everybody else, and this that almost that support and what the players get from it to lift you, and then you know it is an incredible thing. It really so is. the season played behind closed doors, a whole season, thirty-eight games, going to give you the true champion, the true best team. I don't think so. I really don't think so. I mean, it will over the the period of time that you're playing the thirty or forty plus games because. 
the, the best team wins the most games. That's that's it. But when you're countering in teams playing at home or away in, in front of their own fans, and we're not even talking tactically here as well, guys. When you have fans inside the stadium, it's very difficult to play at home because you have to appease your home fans. You have to play an offensive type sit of play. Yeah. You can't sit back. Where where teams play away from home, they usually sit in a deep block yeah. and they look to counter teams. But at home, you're vilified if you play a very defensive Mourinho type of game and look to lock down in your own half and try to counter team. So there's arguments both sides here. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating. But uh, at least it was back. And June 8th is apparently when La Liga's returning. Yep. Uh, as for England, June 12th is still that, that date that everyone's talking about. But who knows? It seems that Syria have kind of taken a step back the last week. So we're not sure what's happening there. MLS, they're meeting, they're discussing. Um, but, Deitch, you mentioned earlier, before we leave, uh, some more details about that a tournament you might be involved in, in in Dallas, is it? Well, no, there's there's talk in MLS that they're possibly looking to go to Orlando with right. the teams. Um, I still think it's in early days, the discussions. It's good that they're, they're trying to think about something forward thinking and, and getting teams playing again. But I think there's all kind of legalities with teams leaving not only their state, but their country as well. So you look at the three Canadian teams having to travel down to Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to be medically insured, the players down there? Are they going to have to quarantine when they eventually come back for another two weeks during the middle of a supposed season? So I think there's a lot more in favour of, of staying and playing home games behind closed doors than actually going down to a tournament and having to be quarantined in a resort with, what, 29 other teams with staff and having to eat in isolation as well. I think there's a lot a lot of arguments against it still. Yeah, we'll find out in the coming weeks. Uh, fellas, that's a lot of fun. Anything else you want to get to before we say farewell? Uh, if I'm coming in clearly now, there you are, finally. Better? There you go. That's better. Um, first of all, I'll meet you guys down at Trinity Bellwoods in an hour. <laughs> Number two, uh, Charms. I like yeah. Lou Diamond Phillips. I appreciate that. Love that, right? Okay, good. But I thought that it would be another black fella playing you, and it's Bill Cosby. Just because <laughs> Why would that be? Well, I'm the Quayle and sit it in your bag. <laughs> That's inappropriate. We shouldn't laugh about such things. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, you wouldn't mind sharing a room with uh, Lisa Bonet for a while, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I agreed to join you guys uh, as long as Wong are paid for my greens fees when we go golfing. So as long as uh, yeah. I didn't get that in writing before I did this, so maybe that's my bad. You know what? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to skip the 18th and play twice just for the value, Brendan. Thanks very much, buddy. No Hold on. Does everyone? I know Craig plays golf. I know Wonga plays golf. But do you two play golf, Dun, Dun, Dunny? Do you play golf? Uh, not well, but I, I do have a set of clubs. I've played a few charity tournaments, and I want to get out there. Shams, do you play? I played. Honestly, I think my last game was was that Craig. We're not talking about football, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks, I know. no, I know. I played it, you know, back in the uh, the mid-90s, I played a fair bit. I honestly have barely played since, so, but I would like to get back out there, I would. Perfect. Let's, let's set up. Let's have, a, let's have a little mini tournament where all six of us meet up. We'll go to one of Craig's famous golf courses and uh, we'll set it up because that'll be a hilarious day seeing us three, yeah. Sean, Danny, and myself. I don't know yeah. if Jeff plays. Does Jeff play, Dan? 
I, I don't know, but I mean, it, it sounds like him and Sharms and Dunny would be in the same space. Jeff could be the beer winch. <laughs> you need a ginger delivering beer for sure. <laughs> we'll be in the same space, but six feet apart. Okay, we're respecting yeah, social distancing and taking yeah, advantage of being able to go. How many rounds this week, Craig? Five. Five? <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Feeling pretty good on you. Taking it easy at the moment. Just the five. Like it's so hard to get around. Everywhere is booked yeah, up. I bet. I bet it is. Yeah. Well, I only got. I only got fortunate that I. Uh, there was a. Well, I'll say it was Wooden Sticks Golf Course out in Uxbridge who uh, were great because two days before, Greg Seaman, who runs the course, and a uh, terrific guy, Thursday, Friday, they weren't opening until Saturday. But he said, you'd be doing me a favor if you come up Thursday, Friday, because we want to test run what we're doing about all the COVID safety and all this at the halfway house. Right. So I said, well, if, you're, if I'm doing you a favor, I'm happy to help out. You're a hero. You're a hero. So I took Wonger with me twice. <laughs> You're both heroes. <laughs> Look at you guys. Put yourself on the front line. We were the ones that, you know, we were the guinea pigs. We could have got yep. sick. Full yep. guinea pigs. We might find yep. out in a few weeks. <laughs> well, allow me to speak for the rest of society. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you both. And I mean that with my heart. You guys are brave. You're martyrs. So uh, I do appreciate it. All right, boys, we're out of time. We've got to go. Listen, uh, thank you so much to Thomas Rongen. Uh, Next Goal Wings, check it out. Um, I cannot wait for that movie to come out and see how Fassbender portrays TR. The movie should be about TR's life in general because that is a movie waiting to be filmed. Uh, He's got the best stories I think I've ever heard. Him and Brian Budd, very similar stories. Um, What a legend. So thanks to TR. Dunlop, thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks anytime, boys. Happy to join you. Thanks, mate. We'll take a dog's from you sometime. Deech, Craig, Wonga, the absent Jeff Cole. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to Amsterdam Brewery, of course, and DeanBlundell.com. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Cheers for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. ACAST anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcast og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakre.